Talk with Vicky Baez and JC. Enjoy the show. All right. Love that intro. Ladies and gentlemen, Ricky Baez, co-host of HR Talk, coming to you live from the A1A Beachfront Studio South in sunny Central Florida. My partner in crime, JC, he is on assignment at the moment. And uh, today is Sunday, October 4th. And what an, I got to tell you folks, what an ugly Sunday it is. It is gloom and doom here in Central Florida. It's supposed to be the Sunshine State. It's about uh, 85 degrees. It's rainy. It's almost as if Florida forgot fall is here. <laughs> it really did. Um, but let me tell you, there's a lot of people hurting in Central Florida right now. And I just wanted to take a few minutes to, to touch on that. Um, this week's show, it's going to be all about leadership. And we do have an amazing guest uh, that that I I had the pleasure to interview about his new book. And his new book is called Trump on Leadership, Executive-ish Strategies for Tough Times by Dr. David Hauser. Uh, but before we go into that book, let me just address a couple of things that are happening in Central Florida. Um, it's, uh, it's a bad time for the economy, especially in the tourism industry. Um, I think uh, a few days ago, three, four days ago, uh, it came out in the news that Universal, not sorry, not Universal, that Disney... Um, will cut 28,000 jobs nationwide, uh, just over 6,000 of which are right here in Central Florida, uh, which is a big hit. It's a big hit. The mouse is really big down here. Um, and the Central Florida area, or Florida in general, really rely on tourism dollars to pretty much stay alive. Um, but that is a big hit for us. Um, and actually, I was reading... In the Orlando Sentinel this morning, um, a gentleman by the name of Scott Maxwell, he's an amazing um, reporter or a columnist for the Orlando Sentinel. Today, he wrote an article called Disney Universal SeaWorld Layoffs. Orlando's one-ticket town economy is reeling again, which it is. It is happening again. Uh, We experienced this with the furloughs at the beginning of the year, at the beginning of the pandemic. In July, the park started reopening a little bit, kind of revitalizing the economy. The governor um, has put some processes in place, uh, whether you agree with it or not. Um, he did put some processes in place so we can go ahead and start reopening again. Um, Florida is kind of becoming the butt of the joke uh, for the rest of the nation. If we haven't already, JC with his Florida man stories, go figure. <laughs> no, but um, it, it's um, we are... We are catching a lot of heat because people seem to think that we're opening up a little bit too early. Now, I'm no scientist. All I know is that, look, in order for you to be safe, you do what's best for you. Wear a mask, wear a bodysuit. I don't know what, I don't care what you do. Just do what you think is best for you. I'm not going to tell you to do one way or the other. But folks, Central Florida is feeling it. And in that article that Scott Maxwell put out today for the Orlando Sentinel, he not only called uh, called out what happened at Disney. Uh, over seven, over six thousand jobs were cut here, but other other organizations as well. I mean, it, it's the list just keeps going and going and going. Universal Studios here in Orlando, um, they're shedding at least twenty three hundred jobs. Um, all of them are all um, e- either either part of or full time. And the list keeps going. 1,900 jobs at Roads and Resorts. Another 1,900 at Marriott Properties. 1,900 at SeaWorld. That seems to be the, the magic number. 
1300 at the Galo Palms. That's where uh, uh, Senior Executive Lucy and I were a few months ago, or actually about a month ago, at the uh, HR Florida 2020. 1,000 at Hyatt and 1,200 airline workers. He also goes on to say, and this is a really interesting number, collectively, that's about 30,000 jobs, 30,000 people just from the recent layoffs alone. Now, that's the population roughly larger than the city of Winter Park. Just, just, just think about that for a second. Winter Park is a small, tiny city town uh, in, in Central Florida. That's where Rollins College is. That's my alma mater, and that's where I teach for the Masters of, of, of HR program. But it's, uh, it's just think about a, a, an entire town just now all of a sudden just the, they, they don't have any jobs. Now, of course, they got 60 days to make something happen, right, because the WARN Act comes into play. And part of the WARN Act is that the organi- if, you, if you are an organization and you are looking to um, uh, execute mass layoffs or a large number of layoffs, depending on the numbers, there's, spe- there's specific parameters you, you need to hit um, as far as the federal government is concerned for you to actually go through with that. One of those is you have to announce it 60 days in advance, Meaning that you can't just uh, come in today and say, hey, you're let go. We're saying, hey, in the next 60 days, uh, just want to let you know, we are we are laying uh, people off. So that gives people an opportunity to do what's best for them. That's what we're hearing about this right now. But, folks, it's a big hit. It really is a big hit. And the time of the year, too. I mean, think about it. It's Christmas is coming up. Uh, holidays are coming up. And people were just coming back from having a hard time paying rent just because of what happened with the pandemic they come back a little bit and then boom this happens um now most of these folks are people that were already on furlough so it's uh it doesn't make the situation any better i guess the reason i'm bringing this up is being in the hr community um and me being an hr professional and, and me speaking to everybody out there who's either an hr hr professional who's either a business owner a business leader folks this is our time to shine it really is our time to shine. So this is where we need to just uh, uh, stretch our arms out and make sure that we reach out to these folks who need help and offer our services. I'm calling on you, each and every one of you, to, to offer our services. You charge if you want, that's fine. I'm going to do it as pro bono as I can because people need help right now. They really do, whether it's interviewing skills, whether it's networking, whether it's resume writing, resume help, whatever the case may be, this is our time. If you're lucky enough to have a job and you're lucky enough to have survived um, all these layoffs that, that are happening, I, it's, I'm going to do my part. And I'm going to put it out there that anybody needs help, anybody needs any kind of connections made in the HR world, in the business world, LinkedIn, uh, need their resumes spruced up, just let me know. Just let me know. And I urge all the listeners to do the exact same thing, not just for Central Florida, but just anywhere else in the nation. Because think about it. It's uh, the reason these cuts are happening in Central Florida is because people are holding a little bit more to their money. Um, than they were before. So they're not flying here as much. So they may have their issues over there. Um, but it's, uh, again, this is our time to really help people out because with everything happening these days, 
we we kind of have no option other than to be kind to each other. And, you know, I've been saying that on the show for quite some time with everything that's happened politically, everything that's happening socially in the nation today. We just have to be kinder to each other because this divisive rhetoric really needs to stop. It really does need to stop. And the only way we can get us back on the right path is um, if we are in this together and we help each other out. So one of those things, one of the ways that we can do that is to, um, first of all, November's coming up. So election time. And um, it, it's, a, it's a really important one, at least the most important one in my lifetime. Um, it, it's, I'm not here to tell you who to vote for or what to do, but it's important to understand who we have in the White House based on your personal beliefs. I'm not going to tell you what to believe, uh, just how I wouldn't want to be told what to believe as well. You do what's best for you. But it's important to understand what kind of leader we have in, in the White House. And that's why I'm really excited for this this guest that I was able to interview today. I mean, again, JC is an assignment, so this is something that I got to do on my own. Um, it's, uh, it, it's, it's a gentleman by the name of Dr. David Hauser. Uh, and he wrote a book called Trump on Leadership, Executive-ish, I guess that's how it is, <laughs> Strategies for Tough Times. And don't let the name of the book fool you. It doesn't talk about Trump as the person, whether you should or should not vote for him, but it talks more about what kind of leadership style is in the White House right now and how that leadership style works in some situations and how it does not in some situations. So don't let that name fool you. This really is a leadership book. Um, it, it, so it's a really good interview. Hopefully you do get a lot out of it before we jump into that interview. I do want to call something out. Um, I do know that in the last couple of days, it came out in the media that the president just came down with COVID. He's uh, he tested a uh, uh, positive for COVID-19 and I've never, um, I've, uh, I've, I've never been one to hide my views on the current president, I'm not a fan of his at all. That is my personal views and my personal view alone, not the views of the show. Um, but I do want to put out there that regardless of how I feel about the guy, I would never wish this on him. It, it, it's, it's at, at the end of the day, he's a human being, right? And he is the, the, he is the leader of what I consider the greatest country in the world. And when something like this happens, we got to support him. We have to support um, his uh, um, uh, his well-being. We have to support his health. Um, that way he can get back to the campaign trail, and then he and uh, the opponent, Joe Biden, can get back and really hatch out, hash out these issues so us, the American people, can make a decision come the beginning of November of whatever we see fit. But I want it to be fair. So I wish the guy well. I hope that uh, he, uh, he uh, him and his wife and his staff recover so we can get back to work and figure out how to unify this country again. So I'll get off my soapbox. So with that said, uh, let me go ahead and uh, put on Dr. David Hauser. He is the author of Trump on Leadership. Check it out. The name of the book is Trump on Leadership, Executive-ish Strategies for Tough Times. And the author of the book is a gentleman by the name of David S. Hauser, PhD. So, Doctor Hauser, almost that's the isn't that Doogie Hauser? Okay, it is I, similar. To Doogie. It is. It is similar to uh, Doogie Hauser. All right. Well, ladies They're and gentlemen, <laughs> we have Doctor David Hauser. 
Welcome. Hey, Ricky. How are you? <laughs> doing good, brother. Doing good. So um, it, that just hit me. Now, now that I read that, I'm like, oh, I remember that show. But you and I, um, I met you over at HR Florida a couple of years ago, and you was doing a presentation on leadership. And um, you, and I start, you and I started talking again, and tonight is going to be, uh, it will ask at the date of this recording, the first presidential, elect, uh, the first presidential debate. Um, and this book that you have, Trump on Leadership, and obviously people read that name and they're like, oh my God, I know what this is going to be about, but... It's not about politics. It's more about leadership, right? Can you just tell us? That is correct. So, all right, give us a little preview or an overview of the book. So I've been in leadership now for about 25 years. Okay. And when I first got into leadership, actually before I got into leadership, the very first book I ever read on the the subject was Lincoln on Leadership by Donald Phillips. Okay. It's a classic in the field. It's been cited in history lessons and biographies and leadership. And it was a deep dive into Abraham Lincoln's leadership and his style. And it gave real life examples and brought in some of the leadership research. Okay. So a couple of years ago, uh, about three years ago, I was rereading it. And the differences between our current president and Lincoln just could not be more clear. It was night and day. And the more I read it, the angrier I got and... By the time I finished rereading it for the 800th time, I was drafting in my head the opposite of Lincoln on leadership, which is Trump on leadership. And so nothing can be more diametrically opposed as leadership (laughs) styles go. Um, I want to say, though, this and you mentioned it, this book is not about politics. Mm -hmm. This is not about policy. This is not Democrats versus Republicans, left versus right, liberal versus conservative. This is simply an examination of his leadership style. Okay. So you're, 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 you're taking a deep dive on what makes him, and I'm going to use air quotes, a leader, right? Because you, you definitely have different leadership styles. Some people are top bottom. Some people are, you know, just do, they rule with an iron fist. Other people take a step back and they let their employees take the lead. Some people are servant leaders. So without giving anything away about the book, because obviously you want people to pick this up, um, what, what, what kind of style makes him him and why? in some aspects, is it successful? There's a, that's a lot. Um, <laughs> he is, <laughs> what, I will say he is a leader. Mm-hmm. Whether you like him or don't like him, yeah. he has a track record of leading people. Um, I will say that my book is a what not to do guide. Okay. So while I'm doing that deep dive, it is a book of what you should not do as a leader. Not to say that he hasn't been successful because I think the facts speak for themselves, yeah. but I, I also think he's an anomaly. I think that his type of leadership can be effective in the short term, but not for long-term success. Um, I think history is going to show us what type of leader he really is. Okay. But if you want to look at him as a leader, he is a, it was, it's a term that came from the 19, really it was from the 1880s, 1890s called bossyism. And it was very popular in New York with, with Tweed, Boss Tweed, and the whole um, Tammy Hall. And it was, we could think of this today as a mob boss type leader, mm. where you're building these relationships based on very reciprocal, transactional pers- 
relationships where there's no real loyalty there, but there's loyalty as long as I can give you something and you can give me something. And I'm going to run, I'm going to roll with an iron fist and you're going to do what I say and you're going to jump, but you're going to get something for it, whether that's power or money or whatever I'm going to do to feed your ego or not. And I'm going to stay in power (laughs) as long as I can feed your ego. Yeah. (laughs) No, correct. Well, I mean, hearing you say that I'm thinking about Tony Soprano, I'm thinking about Don Corleone, and yeah, they were effective leaders in their rights. Obviously, uh, the uh, Sopranos is a fictional show. Um, I don't know the uh, um, the Godfather is more that was a fiction story, but also it's uh, it's that's true. What actually happens out there with with those kinds of uh, organizations? I'll call it that. Yes. <laughs> so so yeah. So it's to me that kind of leadership obviously is really with an iron fist because if you mess up or you defy that leadership, you don't get written up. You get, you know, killed, you get dead. They kill you. Right. Um, whereas when you take a look at the leadership that the current president has, right. To me, now this is me from the outside looking in, right. And this is only my personal opinion to me. It looks like it's a, here you go. Here's I'm I'm telling you what what I want done. Go ahead and do it. If not, I'll find somebody else to do it. Unless you are in this inner inner circle. Again, that's from the outside looking in. Um, you're saying that's completely the opposite of the Lincoln era, right? Um, so what example? Lincoln as a person, not I, like not necessarily the Lincoln era, but Lincoln the, the leader. Got it. Okay. So what? So so what specific? What example do you have of that 180, of that opposite type of leadership um, from Lincoln as a person? All right, so him as a leader, Lincoln had a team of rivals. I mean, there's m- many stories about it. There's a great book called Team of Rivals. Okay. He wanted to collect as much research as he could. He wanted all the people in the room to make these difficult decisions, and he wanted the brainstorming. He wanted to be pushed, and he wanted to be proven wrong, and then he was going to make the best decision he could. Okay. The opposite of that is when you only allow your inner circle in, and the minute your inner circle disagrees with you, you call them a loser. You mm. you publicly say that you don't even know them that well, and you never even wanted to hire them in the first place, and then you you kick them out and continue to call them a loser, and there's hundreds of examples. I have a few in the book, <laughs> but there's hundreds of examples. Yeah. I mean, you look at the people who were in – who joined Lincoln from the beginning, he kept a very, a very strong group of leaders around him for those four, for his time in office and people who did not like him and did not want him to be in office when he was first elected. You look at people like Trump or Trump specifically, his inner, his people who started with him aren't, don't exist anymore. With the exception of his brother, of his son-in-law and his daughter, it's pretty much a brand new team. Yeah. And that's because those were people who dared to disagree, who dared to push. There's a there's a there's a meeting that was very popular that happened at the Pentagon about six months into his when he took office, because his military tops were a little concerned about what he the questions he was asking and that he didn't have enough information. Mm-hmm. So they bring him into the, to this to the secret secure room in the Pentagon and they give him they have a, like a two and a half hour long presentation they're ready to give on the history and some of the, how these things connect. And within 30 minutes, he cuts them off. He calls them all morons. He tells them they're losers, that they haven't won a war in their entire life. And he storms out. Meanwhile, none of them are still there. They've yeah. all been fired since then, yeah. including the chief of staff who organized this. Wow. That's, 
that's a big difference. Yeah. And that's the difference between someone who has long-term success versus someone who believes in their guts so much that they ignore everything else. That's poor leadership. Uh, agreed and, a thousand percent. It, it, it's so, um, I definitely do agree because, um, I'm listening to what you're saying and I'm thinking, wow, wow. Not even novice, not even entry level. It's just wah, wah, wah. Now that that's just from my perspective, but it, it's, I guess what I, where I see that difference, that some leadership types like that, it works in specific situations, right? Because top down leadership works well, like in the military, you know, in the uh, service, right? Because in the service, there isn't time or there isn't a, that, that environment isn't there where a staff sergeant or a first sergeant or a, uh, or, or a uh, captain says, all right, let's think about what we're going to do. What do you think, Bobby? What do you think this person? No, that captain's going to, you know, fire from the hip. Here's what we got to do. Follow me. If you don't say, or if you don't follow what I do, then I'll court martial, whatever the case may be. Um, obviously lives are, are, at stake there. So I could see how that would need to happen in that paramilitary outfit. But when you bring this back to corporate America or to, um, an other environment where, where, um, lives are not in danger, how do you know what leadership trait works best in what situation? I'll tell you that top down leadership works as long as you're on top. Okay. The minute okay. when you're winning, when people are getting the things they need, when that ego is being fed, your followers' egos are being fed. Yeah, top-down leadership is great. Yeah. The problem is, once you start losing, you haven't created the loyal, the true loyalty and the respect and the bonds to keep that going. Yeah. So Trump loves the term winning. And his. if I'm going to give one attribute that is one of his top leadership attributes, it's confidence. Yeah. Because he is confident to an unrealistic place. I mean... His whole, his whole persona, his whole facade is about confidence. And as long as he can project that, the people will follow him because he looks strong. The minute there's a little chink in that armor, the minute he starts, he gets a couple losses, he starts losing people because the veneer is not quite as shiny as it used to be. And that's, so top-down leadership works when you're winning, mm. but it doesn't build the loyalty and the respect that you really, it builds fear. It doesn't build respect. So how do you know you have the right leadership trait for the, for, for, for that specific organization, for that culture? Because, uh, because I can see an executive picking this up, right. And saying, Oh, I wonder if I have the right leadership trait for what I'm doing right now. Let me talk to my employees and they talk to their employees and each and everyone says, you're great boss. And I don't know if that's just like he, he hired a lot of yes people <laughs> or really he is that great. Right. So how does, how does an executive leader who reads this book, how are they going to make that distinction? Well, you're never going to be able to assess your own leadership by asking the people under you if you're a good leader. <laughs> right. <laughs> well, unless, what, else, what are they going to say? Oh, wait a minute, because that's what I'm getting at. If you are that type of leader that you create an environment where um, when you ask that question, your team is so comfortable with you that they're really honest. I mean, not brutally honest, right, but necessarily right. honest, right? Then I guess that's possible, right? But It's possible. You don't know if you have that or not. <laughs> but I can give you, let me give you some scenarios. Mm -hmm. Here's how you can know if you're a good leader. Okay. If you have, the, if you're the right type of good leader, the type that I'm trying to encourage people to be okay if 
you are in a room full of people and you say you have a problem and they start giving you suggestions versus being you telling them what to do, they proactively want to help you make come up with a better idea. That means you're you're the type of leader I think you should be. If you're in a room full of people and you feel comfortable saying, I don't know, then you're the right type of leader because those the type of leader I'm talking about shows that vulnerability. Okay. If you're the type of leader who when someone tells you that your staff, when you say something and it's wrong, they correct you in a respectful way, then you're doing something right. Huh. But if you ask them, hey, how was my presentation last week? And a hundred of them say, oh, my God, it was the best thing I've ever seen. Then <laughs> either they're right and it really was <laughs> or <laughs> and I would say you need more targeted questions. So you can test this, and I've tested this with my team. Okay. If, and I think a lot of leaders have. If you, when you're in front of a group of them of doing a team meeting and you tell a bad joke, if the room erupts in laughter and you know it's a bad joke, <laughs> that's a problem. Yeah, it is. It is. Now, unless if, they love bad jokes, because unless they love that, yeah. you got to know your audience. <laughs> yeah, you do. <laughs> okay. So, this, it's about creating real relationships, and you can couch this under servant leadership where you're, you want to be one of them, and you think the best way to lead is to be one of them, to be in the trenches, to be working in the middle of the night with them, where you roll up your sleeves and you actually know the details of what's happening in your organization. That's what you're striving for, to me. That's what I think you should be striving for. And you mentioned the Army, but even in the Army – with their pecking order and their very tight bureaucracy, mm-hmm. they still will roll up their sleeves and jump in the trenches with their people when, that it, is when true. they're in war. That is true. So you, and we look, we see the movies with boot camp, and yeah, boot camp's a little different. But when you're actually out there, yeah. the sergeants are down there with the privates. They're, yep. do, they're doing what needs to get done because this is life and death. Yeah. And that's how they're getting the respect of their people. They're not doing it. It's not because they're barking orders that they're followed. It's because they've earned the respect of the people under their under their leadership. So that's a good point, David, because it's, and thank you for checking me on that because you are 100% right. Yes. The military has that authoritarian uh, top down leadership and they rule with an iron fist. However, when those senior leaders, those staff NCOs and those officers, um, they earn the actual, they actually earn the respect of people under them when they actually start doing those things that they're having these um, uh, military personnel to do. Right. So if you're just from the back barking orders, yeah, they'll follow you because they have to. Right. And you just might catch friendly fire because you're an ass, you know, <laughs> because you're an ass. However, but if you're out there leading from the front, um, I can see how nobody would need to rely on orders to be barked. Or if they are, they're going to follow those orders just because they do believe in that cause and they have that loyalty to that leader. So I can see that happening. You 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 mentioned something that I really want to dive deep into. You mentioned being vulnerable. And I know I have seen some organizations that have some 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 leaders, and I've actually heard this come from their mouth when they say, "Never show how vulnerable you are." That's when you lose people. And from my point of view, when I heard that, I'm like, it, "You cannot be further from the truth," because from my perspective, if you show that you're vulnerable in certain aspects and you're authentic about it, that it's you connect more and you relate more to the people who you want to inspire. Therefore they see you not just as a leader because they have to like, 
They see you as that person, the human being that, all right, you've got those insecurities too. What do you say to those leaders who really believe you shouldn't show any kind of, uh, of kink in the armor? I would start by telling them you need to get some confidence because the leaders who aren't willing to show their vulnerability are the ones who are insecure. Okay. They're scared of showing that they don't know everything and they think they should know everything. Now, granted, you can't be a leader who walks around all day saying, I don't know, I don't know, I don't know. But it's okay once in a while to say, I don't know. And I want to learn and I want you to teach me. And I know that you're four levels below me, but you know something better than I know it. And I would like to spend some time with you to learn that. And when you do that, you get un, you get such loyal respect. It's that they're going to follow you everywhere yeah. because you showed them, first of all, you made them feel important because they taught you something. But second, they're sh- you're showing them respect that you're giving them, you respect the fact that they know something that you don't. And you're, you're not trying to pretend to be something that you're not people you're going to lose followers right away if you pretend like you know everything. And the minute you're proven wrong, you've just lost that whatever you had going for you. You're much better off standing in front of the room saying, listen, I'm going to, let me tell you about my mentor, my mentor. And she's amazing. And I've worked with, I worked with her many years ago, but she's still someone I talk to as much as I can. And we walked out of a union negotiation and she, the first thing she said was, wow, I really screwed the groups on that one. And I didn't say anything. Uh-huh. I, I was sort of thinking it, but she's made a couple of comments that she probably shouldn't have made. And the first thing she said, we walked out, man, I really screwed the pooch on that one. And she we recognized laughed, it. And she said, okay, give me five things. What can I have done better? Yeah. Where did I lose them? Yeah. Tell me. And I spent 20 minutes coaching and we brainstormed and we came back with a better strategy and, the next time we were in that situation, she handled it completely different. She even, in the middle of it, she looked at me and gave me a wink because she was remembering the conversation we had had six months yeah. earlier. So, so, so that's your mentor, right? That's so, my mentor, and that's what I aspire to be. So you felt really comfortable giving her feedback, right? Because for her to be a vulnerable and verbalize it and say, "Give me feedback," she felt comfortable that you would be open and honest with her, right? And we had built that relationship. How do you do that? How do you build that relationship? Because it's um, one of the things that I want to do uh, in the HR world today, trying to change it one one HR issue at a time, is to make sure we build better relationships between us as a leader in HR and the business owner as a leader, right? Two leaders getting together, trying to figure out how to move that needle from A to B. Um, but you also have some leaders who don't want to focus on relationships, just do your job, do what I'm paying you to do so we can move that needle, then go home and do whatever you want to do. Just come back tomorrow, do the same thing. What do you say to those folks who are, don't put that much stake in building those kinds of relationships where you can be that open and honest, how you were with your uh, mentor? I would tell them you are missing out. You are not getting a hundred percent from your team it's forget about the 110%. You're not getting a hundred percent. You're, you might be getting 75 if you're lucky because your people. Yeah, sure. It's, it's easy. Cause all I have to do is come in, punch a clock and I can leave and you don't really care as long as I'm getting there, yeah. but we're not going to create new things. There's no creativity. There's no innovativeness. There's no, we talk about loyalty and respect. Those do matter. Yeah. You're not going to follow me during hard times because I've, 
having created a relationship where you should. Listen, if you, if you want to take all the best leadership books and summarize them into one little bitty sentence, and you don't have to read another leadership book again if you think about this. If a, if a leader will be successful if they treat people like people. That's it. Hmm. Don't yeah. treat them like they're cogs in a wheel. Yeah. Don't treat them like they are disposable. If you just treat them like human beings, you'd be amazed what you get out of that. And it's really not that hard because you do it in every other aspect of your life. You just somehow turn that switch off when you walk into the workplace. You know, and, and, and it's interesting that you put it that way because you're right. You know, it's, if you, you would be missing that opportunity to get the most out of your associates. Now, from a tough financial leader's perspective, right, um, at the end of the day, to them, it's dollars and cents, right? So if you have an associate and you're paying them $50,000 a year to do a job for you, but it's just because on how you're not communicating with them and what opportunities you're not giving that organization to to have that honest, backward, you know, not, not backwards, but back and forth feedback, um, then yeah, you are getting 50% of that. So you're paying somebody, I guess, $50,000 dollars but only getting twenty five thousand dollars worth of work out of them so it just doesn't make good uh, fiscal sense so that makes sense there so Listen, even the best manager uh-huh. even the best manager i'm paying you fifty thousand and maybe i'm getting fifty thousand dollars of work out of the best leader is getting two hundred thousand dollars of work out of you Ooh. for fifty thousand dollars so if you want to talk roi in dollars and cents i'm gonna make a lot more money by treating you like a human and getting four times your salary out of you than having to hire four people doing the job. So let me tell you what I heard. <laughs> that I'm going to be doing the job of $200,000 getting paid 50. <laughs> and you're going to do it because you want to. That's Why would I want to do that, David? <laughs> because you believe in the vision of the leader. Okay, I get it. You believe in the purpose of the organization. Yeah. You believe that what you do is important and you have respect for it. And you want to be the best person possible because that leader has inspired you in such a way that you want to go above and beyond what your job description says you're supposed to be doing. Okay, I feel like crap. I'm just kidding, dude. Right? <laughs> so, I'm just kidding. No. No, but I do hear that a lot. You're, I hear that a lot from employees who don't get it, but they haven't been truly inspired. But you know what, though? I, I get what you're saying, right? Because, it, look, me personally – I've been in situations where I could have gone to another company, another position, getting paid more money, and I said, no, I, I want to stay where I'm at because my relationship with my boss, the culture that I got to work in, the kind of te- the, the type of team that I have, that in itself to me was more valuable than that, that, that extra 30K, right? So when you're able to say something like that, because to somebody who's never experienced it would say you are an idiot not to take that job. And I'm telling them, fine for you. That's it's, if you think I'm an idiot, that's fine. It's okay. I am happy where I'm at because you can't, when was the last time David, somebody told you, I love working for the boss that I have. And they were genuine about it. Right. Not many people say that. Not many people, not enough. Right. And I, I've, I've, I've been lucky enough to say that maybe twice in my career, just twice. <laughs> All the other jobs, <laughs> I, I got to tell you, I'll write a book just how you did. Um, but, you know, I've, I've been able to, to say that. So you have to balance that. How much is that culture worth 
to you as that person following to how much money you can um, uh, get or not get somewhere else. And the reason I'm bringing that up is, especially right now, I don't know if you saw what happened today, but uh, um, right before we we uh, we went on the air, um, a news flash came up, a, a, a news alert came out that says that Disney World uh, just laid off uh, twenty thousand people. Yeah, nationwide. I see that. Yeah. So, in I and. Man, and that hit me because me being in Central Florida, I have a lot of friends that, dear friends that work there, colleagues, former colleagues that work there, and they are really hurting right now. So right now we have a new CEO, right that that uh, that I just entered um, into that that Disney era. I believe it's Bob Chapek. I think that's his name. I think it's so. yeah, I could be wrong. Well, anyway, um, he just stepped in, and I think what two weeks later the pandemic hit. So now he has to prove himself right off the bat. He picks up your book and he says, you know what, David, I like what you're writing on here. I need you to come on my team and then help me with all this pandemic issues and all this communication stuff. What's the one thing you want to ask him before you embark on that journey? One thing. Oh, that's a good question. Uh Uh-huh. I would, I think I would ask him and it's, we use this phrase too much and we don't, but we don't use it the right way. I would ask him, what is his vision? Okay. What does he want to, what, where does he want to go? What is important to him? And when I'm talking about the vision, I'm, I want to know his purpose. I want to know why it's important, not just where we're going, but why he wants to get there is if he's working for Disney, it could be the love of the product. Mm-hmm. People who work for Disney are so loyal to that, to that mouse. Yes, they are. <laughs> and, and I respect that. And a lot of them went into Disney because of that. Yeah. And when you're talking about someone who's paid $50,000 doing $200,000 work, the staff there are doing work exponentially above what their salary is because they are so dedicated and loyal to Disney. So if I were to go there, that's what I would ask. I would want to know that from him. And I want to make sure that it's something that I believe in because I've been in those situations yeah where it was a product that I believed in, but the minute I found out the why, it wasn't so inspirational anymore. Yeah. It was it was demoralizing. And I didn't last because I while I believed in what we were selling, I didn't believe in why the CEO was trying to do it. Yeah, and and this is where it, it, this is where to me things get fuzzy, right? Uh, because I think about Disney and you're right. A lot of people decided to switch, switch careers or change their life just to work with it because they're such a big fan of it, right? And then um, I can't help to think of Apple and Steve Jobs and how he was as a leader. Now, I've never met the guy. I love Apple products. I've read his book. I don't know if you have. I don't know if you know. So not, oh, yeah, he, I have. He was a tyrant. And yes. I mean a tyrant. Yet... There was something about him that people still followed him and they believed in him to the point that they would take an insane amount of abuse just to be able to be a part of that whole world. What what kind of leadership trait is that, right? <laughs> that that people will love to be verbally abused that way and still want to be a part of the whole aura. For I think he was an anomaly. Okay. I think his genius was so superior and <laughs> He couldn't relate to normal people. That is true. So, <laughs> yeah. And one of, and, but also remember that when he was at Apple, both times he was at Apple, 
he had a small group under him yeah. and they were a barrier between him and the rest of the company. Yep. He wasn't walking around to every person treating them the way that he treated that inner circle. So there was a barrier there and that created sort of an aura also that he was this amazing inspirational leader. Yeah. And he inspired people because they believed in the product and what they believed in his vision and they believed in his purpose and they were willing to put up with the abuse because they knew that at the end of the day, they were better for it. And he did what, what Trump does. He created a cult and it was a, the cult wasn't religious. It was a cult was a product, but many great leaders create cults. I will say some do it for better. They do it in more um, purposeful ways for a bigger vision, but I'm sure you've worked in places where someone says to you, Hey, have you, did you drink the, did you drink the Kool-Aid? <laughs> yeah. It's a popular phrase that we yeah, use. It is. And it is. I know I've used it in places too. Yep. And I've had a couple sips. So, <laughs> so <laughs> no chugging, no nothing. Just, just a couple of sips as you drink your wine. Just enough. Uh, it's just enough. I get it. So, you know what? So bringing it back, bringing it back to what's happening in the white house right now. I got to tell you, David, I, I really feel bad for his staff. I really feel bad for his staff. Here's why. Here's why. Because it, it, it's I can't help from the outside looking in just to think that they have to have a big tug of war between who they're serving, the American people or him, right? And those lines can be blurred, right? Because he's got such a dynamic leadership. Um, from what I have seen, he's charismatic, right? Personally, just me. Me personally, I, I, I'm not a fan of the guy. I'm not, but I give credit when credit is due. I have seen I have seen him being charismatic, and that is one of those traits that make people more likable, in a sense. And that and then you get loyalty that way and you build those relationships. But when you have that in an organization like with Apple, people followed Steve Jobs because he definitely was a genius. He was um a, a, a <laughs> His favorite phrase was what? Um, I just want to make a ding in, in the universe. And damn it if he didn't. Boy, <laughs> let me tell you, he did. <laughs> right? But um, when you talk about running a country and that kind of leadership, I just feel bad for that staff because I'm sure they have to be tugging left and right. Should I follow him or should I go for the for the people? So what do you say to that staff? What do you say to that staff that is just feeling a little bit uneasy about the type of leadership, but they're so invested in that cause and they have that, that internal friction. So from a staff perspective, what can they do? I feel bad for some of the staff. Okay. I think some of the staff are there to serve him. And I think some of the staff are there to serve the country. And so that must be hard for all of them. (laughs) I think that's very hard. Yeah. Yeah. I think, especially when he's promoting the people who are loyal to him yeah. over the people to take charge of the people who are looking out for the country. Yeah. Um, to those people who are there looking out for the country, I would say first, thank you. Yeah. Because if they leave, the people who replace them are not going to have that same allegiance, mm. the allegiance where it's supposed to be to public service. Yeah. Okay. So first I say, thank you. Second, I say, Hopefully things get better in the next couple of weeks. <laughs> <laughs> so just pat but him on the back and say, <laughs> you know what? Keep your chin up champ. <laughs> and you'll be good. And a lot of them didn't make it. A lot of them bowed out over the, have been trickling out over the last three years because they just couldn't take it. Some were forced out 
some ethically, morally, they just couldn't hold it anymore. So they yeah. spoke out and were kicked out. Um, some were told to leave because they weren't toe the company line. So if I can ask, when you were saying about the idea you got for the book, you said you got angry. Why do you get mad? Because this matters. Okay. Leadership matters. And yes, of course it matters at the presidential level. Mm-hmm. That's that affects all of us every single day. And that that matters. But if you take it down to your local level, that matters too. A leader affects a lot of people every day, directly, indirectly, the things they do, the things they say, the way they act. Mm-hmm. They have a huge impact. And if they're going to do it in a way that is so morally repugnant, where they really don't have an ideology except promoting themselves mm-hmm. and their own winning, um, if they rule and lead by dividing people with the us versus the them, and they do it through creating by fake news yeah. and alternate facts. Those are, that's, that's damage. It's a, it's such an amazing phrase. It's so dangerous. How do you come back from that? When a leader starts doing those things, how do you come back when that leader is no longer the leader and bring people back together? Yeah. It, 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 so how do you, right? Because, you know, it's, I guess he was successful in his other ventures. I mean, yes, he, he has some failed businesses, but he also has some businesses that did succeed. Um, so I guess from that respect, leading that way, you can easily say, if you're on top, you can easily say, you know what, here's what we're going to do. And that's it. We're done. And if anybody doesn't follow me, I'll fire them. I'll replace them or I'll do whatever I need to do to get my vision here. And I think what he found once he got into the White House that the billionaire can't do that, right? There's aisles that you have to cross. There's other people that you have to buy in and that they're not in your pocket. So you use that term however you want, right? But I, I think he's learned here that he needs to lead a little bit differently. But if there's one thing I appreciate about him is that he doubles down, even if he's wrong, right? So I, you, you have to love that confidence. What, what worries me is that people see confidence and they mistake competent, uh, uh, a confidence for competence. Mm-hmm. And when people do that, they don't know how to tell that distinction. As a leader, how do you make sure that you really keep the loyalty of your people, but they also see your competency level as a leader, not just seeing you as that confident person, that confident talking head. Well, a lot of my book is about the power of that confidence. Okay. And the research behind it is pretty scary because what it shows is a leader who displays confidence is, has the respect and the fo- and a strong following, even when they show that they're incompetent. There's multiple studies that show that if I tell you I know what I'm doing and everything I say is proven wrong, but I still, but I double down and I show more confidence, Mm -hmm. people still tend to follow me. Mm. That's scary. Yeah, it is. And that's, but, but that's a mental bias that we have as people. That's not the leader's fault. It's our fault for following that person and not recognizing it. The problem is once people buy in and decide that they're following somebody, 
it's very hard to change, to move their attention because now I'm changed. Now I don't want to, I'm not going to admit that I'm wrong. That's my mental bias. And that's a mental bias that we all have. So the minute we agree with something, we double down on it. Even when the facts tell us that we're wrong and it takes a lot to change our mind. There are people who may have followed Trump originally because they're Republicans and he was the Republican who have completely changed the way they view the world and their ideology since then because they can't mentally, they are not able to say I'm wrong. So these are religious leaders who, who will now tout him as being this high religious figure when he could not be anything. There's nothing, he could not be less religious and he doesn't hide it. These are not secrets. He doesn't hide those things. Um, Those people who believe in, the constitution and the rights of law. This is a guy who's found every loophole that he could and continues to find loopholes. I mean, if if I'm going to give him credit for anything, it's that he doesn't take the rules at face value. He says, where does it say I can't do that? And now I'm going to do whatever I want. And and you know, isn't that what we tell employees to do though? Not break the rules. It's like, you know, look at the rules differently, right? It, it, It is, but we have to ask ourselves why true what do you what are you trying to accomplish by doing that are you trying to improve a process are you trying to change the culture in a positive way or are you just trying to get what you want and get get, get as much as you can before you're kicked out so if the power grab is the dangerous part so so when you wrote it right because i could tell there was some, some emotion there right and i love that answer because it matters right <laughs> because you're right you know what david it really does right because i see i see students going into that workforce and i i see some of them not all having a little bit skewed idea of what true leadership and what hr really looks like out there in the workforce today so that's why it, it, it's you're right it does matter i Can get give you one more reason why it matters i'm sorry no sure go ahead go ahead, go ahead. one more reason it matters is because young leaders look at that leader and that's who they choose to become. And so when you have a leader like Trump, how many offspring, and I don't mean people with his last name, Mm -hmm. how many offspring leaders are we going to have for the next 60 years? It doesn't matter. Because they saw what he did. They felt that it worked and now they're going to emulate that. Now that's what we have to battle. Yeah. And they, he made it okay to be this type of leader. So, so if you want to know why it matters, it's because the future is he's create he's shaping the future, whether you like it or not. And it doesn't matter if he wins the election. It matters. But for this in this way, it doesn't matter if he wins the election in a couple of weeks. These people are going to emulate him for years to come. Yeah. So. For once you wrote it and you had that emotion behind it in your mind, who did you see was the intended audience like? Who are you aiming at with this with this book? Is it the executive leader? Is it the middle manager? People trying to get into leadership? Who is your core audience here? Really, it's for anyone who wants to be a better leader. Okay. So whether it's someone who doesn't have any leadership experience and wants to become a leader, a middle manager who would like to learn some more skills, or the CEO who's continuously developing and learning, my audience is anyone who wants to be a better leader. And it could be at work, but it could also be in your church choir or it can be in your Boy Scout group. It This is not just about a work leader. This is about how to be a better leader in any aspect of your life. So just improving, improving at whatever level that you're at. 
So yes, and I and the book speaks to the person who doesn't have any experience, but it also speaks to someone who's been doing it and maybe recognizes a few things they don't like about themselves so much that they could correct. How long did it take you to write this? Uh, about a year, but there became a point when it became um, all-encompassing. <laughs> I am. I can tell you, it's. It's not healthy mentally to spend so much time thinking about Trump. No, I get it. <laughs> Trust me. <laughs> now you're going to write another book on how to de-stress and how to declutter. <laughs> All right. The name of the book is called Trump on Leadership Executive-ish. I love that strategies for tough times. Now, you can find this on Amazon. Is there a website or it's just Amazon? Amazon.com. All right. Amazon.com. You can get it on paperback, on Kindle. Um, so what is one thing? One thing you want the audience to walk away with as far as this book is concerned. Just one phrase. If I can give you one thing to walk away from, it's you can be a winning leader without being an asshole. (laughs) Boom, dude. If I I need, I need. No, that's not the one. That one. one. I'm pressing buttons here because that was awesome. (laughs) I'm trying to find the mic drop. I had it. I'm sorry. Stop laughing. There you go. Thank you. No, I like that. You can't do that without being an asshole. Some people like that, though, David, right? It, it, some people crave that. Some people crave that kind of abuse. And we talked about that already with uh, with uh, with uh, Steve Josh just because of that aura. But you are a thousand percent right. And, and it, it's for the people that are going to come back and take a look at this 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 moment in time because they are the coronavirus this thing happened in the tiger king a lot of things happened this year <laughs> that are really odd right so yes it, it, it's i do want them to have that message as well because to me um uh, and, and and i i i consider myself a a lifelong student of that craft of just being influential and to me that's what leadership means it's just to be influential not just beat somebody down with a stick, not just, you know, just uh, make sure that uh, you show them who's the boss. No, it's just to be influential in anything you do. Um, I was just at the HR Florida conference and I did a presentation about this very same thing. And one of the things I've noticed is that um, in in talking to people and just just networking there, one of the things that, that I've noticed is that the people who set out to be a leader who say... I'm going to wake up today and I'm going to be a leader, right? To me, that it, it, that tells me you've already failed, right? Because if that is your goal, then you're going to focus on the wrong thing to make sure you got the right type of, of loyalty. To me, the leadership trait has to be a byproduct of whatever you decided to pay attention to in that moment in time, whatever you're passionate about. And if you're so passionate about it and about to either improve it, move that needle from A to B, then other people see how passionate you are and they see how much time and effort you're investing in developing everybody around you, then they're going to follow you organically. So when you say this is for anybody that wants to improve, awesome. But if he calls you right now, I know I gave you the uh, the uh, the uh, um, other example with Disney, but if Trump calls you right now and say, "Hey, I'm gonna get the jet to come pick you up, come over. I want you to help me improve." What is the one thing you would tell him right now? Oh, that's a hard one. <laughs> uh, there's so many things I would love to say, but if one thing first, first I'm gonna say he would never do that. 
because he one of the problems with his leadership is that self-development is not something he believes in. <laughs> but yeah. if he if if he were to have this epiphany, I would say the first thing you need to do is you need to apologize. You need to admit that you were wrong about something. And I can help him create a list of the things he's been wrong about. But he needs to think of he needs to think of something that he's been wrong about and apologize. He needs to start showing that vulnerability and only then can he really start the path to self-development. And that's awesome. That's awesome. Absolutely. Yeah, because you know, um you apologize and you show how vulnerable you are. And again, it shows that you don't know all the answers and not just for him, any leader that has that kind of mentality, because I agree with you a thousand percent. So you'll just tell him to apologize. Watch. You never know. He might get this. Once we publish this and he listens to it, he might call you over. We, you might see Air Force One come come over to your house and come pick you up. Well, then you're coming with me because I need some support. It's I mean, look. He gave football players some cheeseburgers from McDonald's. I'm definitely there. So that's definitely <laughs> going to happen. All right, Mr. Doctor, not Mr. Dr. David Hauser. Again, the name of the book, Trump on Leadership, executive Strategies for Tough Times. David, thank you very much, man. I really appreciate thank you, your time. Really appreciate it. Really appreciate it. How can people get a hold of you? Do you want them to get a hold of you? Sure, why not? How can they get a hold um, of you? <laughs> well, um, if you want to leave an Amazon review, that's a great way to get a hold of me Boom. when you buy the book. There you go. Um, but I'm also on Twitter, David Hauser. Right. So David Hauser on Twitter. Hauser. The real David Hauser? At real David Hauser. Got it. At real David Hauser. Find him on Twitter. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you very much. Have a good one. Well, folks, how was that? That was good stuff. Um, I want to make a, give a big shout out to Dr. David Hauser for coming on the show and uh, spending that time with me to connect about leadership and what is important coming up here in the next 60 days or so. Oh my God, not 60 days, the next 30 days or so. What am I thinking? This is a lot closer than what I thought it was. Um, but again, next week, we're going to be back live again. The crew is going to be, is going to get back together. A uh, couple of things also, folks, if you haven't already, Go to your favorite platform, your favorite podcast platform, download the HR Talk podcast, um, whether it's on Google Play, Stitcher, Spotify, Player FM, iTunes, you pick it, or, or on our website, hrtalk.com uh, or at um, biesco.com. By the way, Biesco, also, we are doing brand new. Fresh off the presses, folks, we are doing live interactive HR training sessions. So um, if you want um, our organization to help you out with any training and development, any HR classes, so if you just want to get SPHR certified, we do have those classes that are SPHR certified as well as SHRM certified. Just reach out to us and let us know. Uh, eBias at Biesco.com. So, folks, with that said... Guess what? That's not funny. It's not funny at all when I hit the wrong button. <laughs> all right, folks. That is... Stop. Shut up. Stop laughing. That is the end of the show. You can reach us. Again, HR Talk Podcast. We are on Twitter. We are on Facebook, Instagram, TikTok. I don't know if we're still a Snapchat. You know what I'll say. We're still a Snapchat. Go ahead and just give us a like. Let us know what you think about the show. Have a good day. Good night.
By the way, to answer what happened in the last show, Sun Tavern is the birthplace of the Marine Corps.